Amen. Well, thank you for coming today, and I hope you're enjoying the conference. Um, one other thing, quickly, on you take my breath away, the rest of the artists on here are, are uh, FMA instructors, um, and so it kind of gives you an idea of the skill level and excellence of, of some of our instructors, um, some of their songs and that type of thing. Um, I want to mention also that after, right after this info, I mean, not an info meeting, this is a breakout session. After this breakout session, I'm doing another one in this room. It's a continuation on what I'm going to talk about in this session. So if you want to stay for it and get part two, um, you need to, you'll have to stand up, you'll have to go out those doors, come back in the, and then come right back to your seat. And you have to take your stuff with you. Okay. And we'll play like some circus music while you're doing that to make it fun. So. But we ask you to do that because it just makes it fair because there's other people that want to come in. And, and, uh, and then after, um, after this breakout session and the next one, there's an info meeting on FMA. And uh, that is in uh, seminar room C. Is that right? It's in C. Um, and so we will answer your questions, give you the basic vision of, of Forerunner Music Academy, ask, answer your questions, go through, you know, Questions about curriculum, um, costs, vision, what are we doing, what is it all about? Um, if you're interested in that, I encourage you to come. If you come to the FMA info meeting and you get the info pack with the sticker, you win a free iPod. So, if you want to leave now, go buy a guitar, practice a little bit, <laughs> so you can get into FMA and so you can get your free iPod, that's fine with me. Anyway, and then after that, if there are any music educators uh, here today in this room, um, we're going to have, after the info meeting, we're going to have a music educators think tank. And basically, I like to do this every one thing conference, just just pull in those who have experience, years of experience in teaching music, um, whether, it's, whether that's uh, extensive experience in private lessons or that's um, formal education. Uh, or if you've written curriculum, that type of thing. And just we'll just get together and uh, kind of let you know where FMA is at after a year and a half of development and where we're planning to go. Get your feedback, get your input. We're looking for your wisdom, your ideas. And uh, I believe in being a perpetual student and uh, always learning a, a better way to do things. So um, I believe our time is short and we need to, to get on task and, and get the school um, to its expected end. So I want to invite you to that. Um, let's pray. I need the Lord to come and speak. He is the teacher. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit. His job is to guide us into all truth. And uh, you're not going to get anywhere by listening to words that, I, that come from me. You're going you're gonna to get somewhere by hearing the word of the Lord. That's what I want you to hear is the word of the Lord today. What he would have to say to you that would um, call you and prepare you uh, for his coming in the area of worship. So, Lord, we ask that you would just speak to us. Holy Spirit, guide us into truth. We come, Lord. We are mindful that those who are spiritually poor, those who are poor in spirit, that you bless those who are poor in spirit. We come as little ones who are poor in spirit, Lord. Lord, no matter where we've come from, no matter what the size of our ministry, no matter what our experience or lack thereof, Lord, we're all in the same category. We're all weak and we need you. We need you to speak to us. We need you to put fire in our hearts. 
We need holy passion to consume us, Lord. That we would desire you. We would desire truth in the inward parts. That we would desire to hear the songs of heaven. And Lord, I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about, about myself real quickly. Um, I have been married 14 years. My wife's name is Renee. And uh, we have six children, one boy and five girls. So, um, my, my little boy was our firstborn. He was uh, two and a half years old and he passed away. He was born with spina bifida. It's uh, uh, the most severe type. He was paralyzed from the waist down and medically fragile. Um, I was 21 when he was born. He was our firstborn. We were on our way to the mission field. Um, I, had, I had lived in the Marshall Islands as a missionary for a year at, at the age of 19. And then um, came back, got married, moved to Nashville. So one time I didn't really talk to God about where I was going to go geographically. I just, I figured I put my time in the mission field and now it was my time to shine in Nashville. And so uh, I had a real strange thing going on internally because growing up, I, I was on the road um, with my, my brother and my sister and my parents uh, as a little family music group, like a little Von Trapp thing on the road, you know. Um, and so we literally would do like two and three concerts a week for eight years. And then in the summer, we would travel for 10 weeks. And I mean, I, you guys, I have sung and preached in every single kind of church or camp or strange gathering you could imagine. I mean, from charismatic Catholic coffee houses to Lutheran kids camps to just the most interesting scenarios in the church and run into all sorts of stuff. At 13, uh, we went into a, a uh, general association of regular Baptist church, very legalistic. And uh, we went in there to, to a kids camp. We did Sunday morning service, right? I'm 13. I had just written my first worship song. And, uh, and so we, we did a little cassette tape at a studio in Philadelphia, you know, cause CDs had just come out. It was like 1985, 86. And, uh, it's interesting. I still have Peter Gabriel. So the one from 86, and if you turn it over, it says, this is a compact disc. This is how you care for one. I mean, like, like, it's like explaining, like, what is a compact disc? You know, it's really interesting. You guys should check that out sometime. Some of you would get a real kick out of that. But I, I was like a little kid then, you know, I'm 12, 13. CDs just came out. thought, wow, this is awesome. They're little records, you know. And so our family does this cassette tape, and we recorded my, my you know, first real song. I mean, I wrote a bunch of goofy ones up to Lynn, and I, and I finally got a real one, you know. And fortunately, I was objective enough at 13 to tell that the other ones were junk, you know, and just so if you're a songwriter, for every good song you write, you got to write about 25 really corny songs, <laughs> you know, and just do, do me and anybody else a favor. Don't blame the Lord for those songs. I don't, you know, I usually say if I feel like I got a really solid song, I'll say, well, I feel like the, you know, the Lord like inspired me, helped me, but I don't always blame him for my music. I, I don't want to get to heaven and have him go, you know, I, <laughs> Why did you tell those guys that I gave you that song? You know, it's like, well, Lord, it, I didn't really want to take responsibility for it. <laughs> it was so bad. But, uh, so anyway, we did, my, we did this little cassette, and uh, we go into this church, right? And we're doing a kid's camp. 
their VBS all week. I'm 13. You know, we go in there and we do, we, well, there wasn't worship. We did like, you know, a little concert on Sunday morning, a little preaching. And I, so I do my song and after the song, the pastor calls us in and, uh, to his office, you know, and, uh, just rebukes me, says that I've just, I've just manipulated the people's emotions and, uh, you know, worked them all up and manipulated them and that, that we weren't allowed back the rest of the week. Like he kicked us out. Like I was like, whoa, this is heavy for a 13 year old, you know, you know, I just, I was just trying to love Jesus. You know, my song was a, it was a song of repentance. You know, it was like, I blew it. Like, can we start over again? That kind of song. And, uh, man, I made the pastor mad, you know, so I've been in all sorts of interesting situations growing up. Um, and then, uh, went to last day's ministries. If y'all ever heard of Keith green, um, I grew up listening to Keith and, um, learned, you know, a lot of those piano licks and loved, loved the heart. Of course I learned, I grew up with Keith on vinyl, so I put it on, you know, and, and, uh, I loved, I loved his message. Uh, he was dead eight years by when I went to last day's ministries, but I did get to know Melody green and um and do some stuff with her for the year i was there um i went through a little worship school and a discipleship school then i took off to the marshall islands as a year for a mission as a missionary and uh, the marshall islands is this island halfway between new guinea and also uh and new zealand no between new zealand and hawaii sorry between new zealand and hawaii and it's in the middle of Micronesia. You, you can't even find it on the map. Like if you look at a world map, you got to go all the way to the edge and like look for, you, know, you don't really know if that's the island or if somebody just killed a fly there. And it's just kind of like, but there's these little tiny islands. So anyway, I went there, 18 years old, flew into the South Pacific and I was on a mission. You know, I had, I grew up reading biographies of missionaries, men like Hudson Taylor and, um, you know, Jonathan Goforth and men of faith. Of course, those, most of those biographies only tell the highlights. So just know that when you read biographies. I didn't know that when I read biographies. I read the biographies and I, all they tell, because the guy writing the biography is a, you know, a big fan of the person, or otherwise he wouldn't take all that time to write the book about the guy, right? So he's a big fan of this person. So he only tells the, the, the highlights. All the victories. And so you read a biography and you read a, a one successive highlight after another of somebody's life. And I don't know if, if you're like me, at, by the time I'm done one, I conclude I am the sorry, sorriest loser that ever hit the planet when it comes to dedication and, and uh, devotion. And man, like God must sort of not really like me that much because this guy, he really liked, like he did everything right, you know. And so... Uh, I had that in my mind, so going to the Marshall Islands, I mean, I, I was so overdramatic. I tend to be sort of melancholy and dramatic anyway, but I, I, was, I said goodbye to my parents. I get on the plane. I'm crying. I think I'm never going to see my parents again. I am going to go to these little islands. I'm going to get in a dugout canoe. I'm going to outer islands to plant churches. I'm going to get speared and martyred. <laughs> I know it. I'm hoping for it. I really am. I don't know. I didn't even have any end time theology whatsoever. I mean, I actually thought we were going to get raptured when Jesus came back before any trouble happened. That's what I thought. But I still had this desire, like those martyrs are the lucky guys. Like they got to actually put it on the line. And it was, it doesn't get more real than that. 
And so I always had this desire in my heart to get martyred. And so I really was going to the Marshall Islands. And uh, so, you know, so I'm going 18 years old. I want to get in a canoe, go preach the gospel, make a bunch of, you know, tribesmen angry and get them to spear me with a shark tooth, you know, spear. And then it'll be awesome. And then they'll tell my story like these other stories like I read, right? Well, I get to the Marshall Islands and you know what I end up doing the whole year? I'm leading a children's choir, a Marshallese kids children's choir. The Marshallese people are the most docile people on the planet. They don't even, like, cut their food up, you know. It's like, oh. There's the most docile people. I have a kid's choir, 80 little Marshallese kids, don't speak English, you know, and I'm teaching them music, and, and I'm living with a missionary family, and I homeschool the missionary family's kids. I mean, the Lord tells me to do it, and I volunteer to do that job. So I've got these four missionary kids every day, and I'm homeschooling them, and then I've got a little choir. That's, that's, you know, it wasn't quite what I was, the drama I was hoping for. But, uh, so I had this weird thing in my life between missions and music. And so I would go back and forth because we traveled all, a lot when I was a kid. And so you're always up in front of people. And in, and in between, you're always listening to your favorite bands, you know. And, you know, you, you, you get infected with this disease of our pop culture of thinking that if you're really cool in music, then you get to be like famous and like in front of people and, and, and make a hit song, you know. And I was, so I had this weird vision of my life that would go back and forth between martyrdom and stardom. It's like one day's martyrdom, one day's stardom. Martyrdom, stardom. And at least they rhymed, you know. And uh, so I, I come back from the Marshall Islands. Nobody speared me at all. You know, I got stung by a jellyfish. That was it. And uh, come back, I get married, and uh, move to Nashville. Because I figure, well, I tried martyrdom, that didn't work, let's try stardom. So, go to Nashville. That, the Lord shut me down. I, I did less music than ever in my life. I find myself on a paint ladder, 70 hours a week, running a sprayer for a bunch of guys that cuss at me all day long. I'm going, what is, lo- what is going on, you know? This is not like the biographies. I'm supposed to have like, have something massive happen, like amazing miracles or martyrdom or something here, and I'm painting. This is boring and redundant and, uh. And anyway, after a year of being in Nashville, I was, and I had friends that were in the industry that were successful, and I, I went to them, you know, with my little demo. Everybody does that. Everybody gets their demo together, and you go in for my, you know, little meetings, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, VH1 behind the scenes is going to be covering this moment someday. You know, when I come in, you know, the day he took in his demo, you know. So I take my demo in, right? And the guys are looking at me going, get out of town, man. Like, for your heart's sake. Unless you have a word from the Lord. I mean, it was amazing. Like, some of these professional guys looked at me and said, this is so corrupt. It's so dog-eat-dog. It's so ungodly that unless the Lord has sent you here with the with an audible voice of God get out and I was shocked and I started seeing the fruit of the competitiveness of the industry and so I went home one night to Renee after one of those meetings and I said let's go back to the Marshall Islands let's get out of here 
let's t- I don't want to waste my music for, I don't want to use my music for 10, 15 years just shopping demos and, and just to try to get a record deal and waste my life doing that. This is, this is, ins- that's insanity. I want it to count, I want to count for something. And uh, so I, I told her, let's go back to the Marshall Islands because I could just take my guitar, stand up, and I'll have a hundred island kids there and can sing and teach them, train them up, and, and lead them in the things of the Lord. So we decided to go, and we had uh, land donated to us by one of the kings there because Renee's family, uh, her dad pioneered missions in the Marshalls. So he's kind of a, he was a big deal in the Marshall Islands. So all the government officials were his students, and so they said, if you come, we'll give you land. To use, you know, as long as you're alive. You can't actually own land there. It's passed from mother to daughter to mother to daughter. So, um, anyway, so we're going to go back to the Marshall Islands. We find ourselves uh, pregnant with our first child. And so the, the plan is he's going to be born and we're going to take off for the Marshall Islands, um, you know, six months after he's born. Um, we're going to itinerate in the meantime, raise support. We've got 60 churches that are going to support us. And this is Renee and I's dream, like our little happy new married couple going to go to the mission field and, and you know, really and change lives for Jesus. And we were really excited about it. And I'm like 20 years old, you know, 2021. 20, and uh, Josiah is born. He's born with spina bifida. He's paralyzed, medically fragile. And we can't leave town, let alone the country, let alone go to the third world. And the world, our world comes crashing down around us, really. And so I end up, I'm, I take a lead, worship leading position at this little tiny charismatic church. Um, it's, it's like 70 people and in rural Alabama, because we're, I don't even tell you how we got there, but we're in rural, rural Alabama at this little charismatic church, 70 people. I'm there for four years leading worship. And, uh, the church was getting real um, extreme in, in, in a kind of a word of faith teaching, which I appreciate that doctrine. I just don't appreciate the Western materialistic application of that doctrine. And if that didn't mean anything to you, then you don't have to worry about it. I just said that for those who would mean something to them. Um, and so it's not real good to be in that type of church when your son is medically fragile and dying. And everybody, most people in your church are looking at you like, don't you have enough faith? Why'd you take them to the doctor? You're sinning, you know, that kind of thing. It was, so it was a real rough place to be. Two and a half years, we're living in uh, um, intensive care and in the hospital with Josiah. And at two and a half, he passes away and he dies. And so um, we find out about a week before he dies that we're pregnant with our second. After he dies, four months into that pregnancy, Renee miscarries. And uh, it was a hard year. Nine months before my son died, Renee's dad died. So it was a year of just the bottom falling out. And I was going, Lord, what is going on? Like, I thought, I thought, like, you were happy to have me on your team. Like, we were going to do big things in the, in the nations together. And now, I, I, I don't know if I can even get up in the morning. I don't even want to get up in the morning. And uh, it, was, it was discouraging. But I want to say that there's one thing. I look back now, and there's one thing that kept me connected to Jesus. And that was when I would sit down at the piano and I would sing to him. That kept me through all of that. No matter what anybody said, no matter what my circumstances were, I connected with a reality in God. 
I knew I had a friend. I could go to some room somewhere or put my keyboard in a closet. I could hide away and start to sing to him, cry, talk to him. And I knew I had a friend. Even if I couldn't figure out what he was doing with my circumstances, even if I, when I got to the point after a while of several church positions where I was just very cynical about the church, period. And I I would imagine a number of you are there. I was very, very cynical about the church because I'd been a part of about four church staffs and the, that was the first one. The second one, I was, it was a vineyard. Six months into it, the whole thing blew up and like two-thirds of the people left and one-third was my fault because cha- they told me to change all the worship style because it was kind of like old school, um, maybe old school Assembly of God worship style and they wanted me to change it over to like hip contemporary vineyard style so i go okay so like in three weeks i changed it well made a bunch of people mad (laughs) i didn't you know i was just trying to do a good job third of the people leave over that the senior pastor leaves the church splits it just blows up i had like five things like that happen within a couple years and i was going lord this is a mess i'm reading i'm i read the book of acts and then i get i close the bible and i look up at the church, the last five churches I've been a part of, and I go, why did you curse me with being in America? That's how I felt. I felt cursed. Like, Lord, please, why couldn't I have been born in any other place than here? I would rather not, you know, I'd rather not have the CD players and everything else and have the I have the reality in God. I just see somebody that loved the word of God or was excited that loved the Lord that it wasn't just some sort of thing that they did on the side. And, and I was very disillusioned. And so, in the meantime, we had two, two more children, Sophia and Kaylee. And um, I, I head out on the road because I didn't really want to take another church position. So I head out on the road. Uh, a door opened up to, to travel professionally with a couple of Christian artists. So I thought, well, you know, I kind of always wanted to do that. And the Lord's finally blessing me with this. And so I... Jump on the tour bus. We've got two tour buses and a tractor trailer, and we're doing four concerts, three or four concerts a week. And not not one of them was less than 1,500 people, and it was 1,500 to 6,000 people every single night. I'm playing keyboards for this thing, back on vocals, little acoustic, you know, kind of the utility guy. I was singing all the high girl parts, you know. (laughs) And, uh, I don't know. And so, uh, I am out there. It's fun. It's really fun for like six weeks. And then it's like, you know, Groundhog Day. It's like, oh my goodness. My life, every day is the same. The set's the same. I get up, we pull, you know, after the, after the concert, I go to the bus. What are we going to do now? Oh, let's watch a movie. And they bring in a bunch of food, you know, steak sandwiches and pizza at midnight. And you eat. While they take off to the next place, you sit there and eat yourself to death, practically. I mean, it's crazy. And watch movies and go to sleep. Get up at 10. Get off the bus. Well, there's nothing to do till noon because that's when catering is. Let's find a coffee shop, you know. So we would just, we would hunt for a coffee shop every day, you know. And my, my life quest was to find, you know, good espresso and I mean I'm up to five shots just to stay awake you know and we play the same concert every night and this is a Christian thing so I mean it was not like 
gross immorality happening around me, but it was lethargic and it was dead. No spiritual life. And I'm dying inside. I'm so hurting. I am so discouraged. I'm up on stage playing 4,000, 5,000 people out there. A couple really good artists. <laughs> I even got to open up, be the opening artist for these guys for one tour, my sister and I. I thought that maybe, maybe that's why I wasn't satisfied, if I could only be the artist, you know. And then I was the artist, and it was like, I am so unhappy. I am so unhappy. And I'm so discouraged because the church doesn't have an answer for me that I could find. And the industry didn't have an answer. That's failed. I didn't know what to shoot for. I mean, I, martyrdom didn't work. I, didn't, I tried that. You know, they didn't even have spears there. I mean, I picked the wrong country. I can't get any of these right, you know. And uh, so a friend says to me, hey, I want you to come down to, to IHOP to this place called the House of Prayer. And uh, they pray 24 hours a day. And I'm thinking, yuck. <laughs> this, is back, this is back in 2001, or January 2001, I think. I'm thinking, 14, 85-year-old women that are angry <laughs> in a room with their eyes closed, preaching at each other. And telling God how mean the last eight leaders in their life are that didn't appreciate their anointing. And I'm going, man, this guy, Mike Bickle, man, he must be really like, just like shriveled up and, ugh. But you're going to pay my way there. You're going to put me up in a hotel. I grab my guitar. It's between tours. I think, hey, I'll just go swimming. I'll write some songs. I'll watch some movies, get kind of rested up. I'll go to the first prayer meeting of Blugatory, and I'll put my church face on and get through it. And all the while I'm thinking that, it's killing me. That's killing me. Because I go, I hate this kind of fake, ugh. I want something to live for. I want something to bleed for, to, to breathe and die for. I can't find it. So I show up at this little trailer, you know, Kansas City, 2001, walk in. I'm like, and I'm the kind of guy that's like, all right, we're going to do this, let's do this. I walk up on the front row, sit down, open my Bible. All right, hit me. What do you got? And Carol Hall was leading worship. Of course, in the, in the trailer, the worship leader was like right here. And the front row's right here. So I'm stand up. And I'm like... Well, these guys are like young and they're happy and they're singing the Bible like it means something. And that guy, Mike, he's over there just like this the whole time. He's happy. He's happy. He's been like a pastor for 25 years and he's happy. I mean, I knew a lot of pastors from all the traveling we did. I said, man, most of the guys I knew were burned out and discouraged and like just holding on to their salary because they didn't know what else to do. That's what I knew. And I went, man, this guy's happy. Like, he's really into this. And then suddenly, suddenly, since I had been... And I'm about uh, 26 years old at the time. 27, 26, 27. And it had been 10 years since I had this feeling. But I physically feel the Holy Spirit moving in me. I've not felt that too many times. But I physically feel him churning in me. And I start to heave and I start to weep. And I can't even handle being in the house of prayer more than about 15 or 20 minutes. And I have to leave and go walk around outside and process it. Going, this is going to change everything. These guys 
aren't doing it for money. They're, there's nobody here. The carpet's like, there's nails nailing it down to keep it down. And it kind of stinks. You know, nobody gets paid for this. And they're happy. They love this. What is going on? And what I had run into is a corporate reality of experiencing what I had experienced personally through the years. It was called singing to God, singing the word. It's called prophetic worship. And, and, and the idea, what is prophetic worship? Prophetic worship, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. What is Jesus saying? And you sing what he's saying. You sing the thing that's on God's heart. That's what prophetic worship is. And so I am, I'm wrecked by this. I'm totally wrecked by it. And all of a sudden, the music and the missions come together. And I go, now I understand what music's about. I understand why I have this gift. I understand what this is about. I understand what songwriting is for. It's so that I can talk to the one who loves me. The one who loves my soul. The one who's ravished over me. It's so that I can respond to that. And I can move angels and demons and the heart of God. And that's what the music's for. That's what this is about. And so it struck my heart. It was unbelievable. So I go home. I tell my wife, Renee, I go, we are going there. And so we go, come to a conference. We decide we're going to move. We go to lunch, come back for the next session. And the Lord speaks to both of us and says, go do this in Indianapolis. And I got all fired up. I was like, whoa, yeah. I'm going to go do this in Indianapolis. Let's go. So we went back. I took all my gear, stuck it in a little room, found a couple friends, you know, couple people said yes to the vision. I, I was shocked. I didn't know what to do with them after that because I didn't expect it. I was like, oh, oh I don't have any plans beyond that. I, I was going to recruit. But once I, I didn't know anybody was going to say yes, you know, it's like, shoot, give me five minutes. I'll come up with something, you know. Um, but we started a house of prayer in Indianapolis and we did 30 hours a week of intercession and worship, live intercession and worship, 30 hours a week, faithfully week in and week out for four and a half years. There's only six of us that were full-time. There was another nine or ten, about, yeah, nine or ten that were part-time, 15, 20 hours a week. And then everybody else was kind of once a week, twice a week. And we, there's nobody there. And I would be up at night, you know, doing a ten to midnight or midnight to two. Me and, and, and Alex, the drummer, you know, he and I and like one person in the room, if that. You know, if the, if the door opened up and a second person came in, we're like, ooh, we're cooking now, man. <laughs> He's bringing the nations from the east and the west and the north and the south. We're like, kick in the chorus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I was singing, through, we'd sing through, through Song of Solomon, and I'm just weeping like a baby, feeling God. And I go, this is the weirdest thing. Like a year ago, I'm up in front of 4,000 people, bored to death, bored to tears, hurting, because it's so unfulfilling. But it's everything that people would try to strive for in the natural. And now I'm sitting in some room, and nobody even knows we're there or cares that we're there, and there's only three of us. And I am touching heaven, and it's moving the, in, in, the inside of me. Guys, that's why I do what I do. I, I moved here because I said, I want to be with a larger group of people that go after this, that sing and give themselves to the prayer room. And uh, I've said from day one, though I am the director of Forerunner Music Academy, I said, I will always be primarily an intercessor and a worship leader. And the day that I have to lead a school and I have to give up singing to God is the day I quit. 
I thought that was might get me out of the job. It actually got me the job. Because Mike goes, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> but that's where the power is. That's where the life is. It's in singing to God. And so, Ephesians 5.18, powerful scripture. You need to connect Ephesians 5.18 with Ephesians 3.16. Ephesians 3.16 says that you would be strengthened with might in your inner man. God's kind of might in your heart, in your spirit strengthening you, giving you power. How does that happen? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.18 how you get the might of God inside. See, I didn't realize it, but I had, there was might of God in me through the years that I had to watch my son suffer and I had to stand at his graveside and watch him be buried and walk away from that knowing I'd never see him again. That's a, that's a horribly violent thing that's so unnatural. And I didn't even know, how am I going to make it through this? And I didn't realize that what I was doing as, as really as kind of my drug, my escape was go sit down and sing to God and cry. I remember opening the Bible and singing the word. I didn't even know what, you know, harp and bowl. I thought that was an angelic, you know, sporting event. You know, I didn't know what that was. Like harp and bowl. And, uh, but I realized just actually in the last year, I looked back and I went, you know what? There was might in my inner man because of that. I had a history in God, just he and I. It's just him and me. And there was something real there. And what was happening was I was doing Ephesians 5.18. It says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. In other words, don't get drunk on alcohol. Get drunk in the Spirit. What does alcohol do? It alters, you know, you drink enough of it, it alters your sense of reality. The guy's totally depressed, lost everything. He goes and gets hammered. He walks out into five lanes of traffic, all happy. Hey, look at the pretty lights. He doesn't realize he's about to get creamed by an 18-wheeler. And his life is about to end. His, His sense of reality has been altered. It's been totally changed. That's what being drunk does. It changes your sense of reality. And the Lord is saying, don't do that with alcohol. Do that with the Spirit of God. There is a greater reality going on than what you are experiencing circumstantially. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God. Psalms, songs to God. Hymns, songs about God. And spiritual songs. It's the Greek word, ode pneumatica. It means an unwritten song, a spontaneous song. The Hebrew equivalent is the word tehillah. The plural, the plural of Tehillah is Tehillim, which is translated Psalms. That's where we get the book of Psalms. Most of the book of Psalms are spontaneous songs that either came out of David's heart or they came out of Asaph, Asaph and Korah in the house of prayer, in the tabernacle of David. As they gazed on the beauty of God, they sang and out, came, out from their heart came a spontaneous love song to God and it gave them power in the inner man. And Paul is saying... If you will sing these three types of things, sing to God, sing about God, and sing spontaneous songs, just tell them what's on your heart. Just make it up right on the spot. We're such a performance-diseased culture. This is what makes IHOP so scary for musicians. It's actually easier to take a bunch of 12-year-olds 
and teach them the instrument and do harp and bowl. And in five years, you'll be farther alone than if you got class A musicians on the front end. Because there's so, most of them. Now, some of them can make the turn. Some of them can make the turn. If you're here and you're a really good musician, I, I implore you to make the turn. But, but uh, IHOP is really tough for, for good musicians on the front end because they're used to, you don't present something to the public until you've got it nailed down. Because they, you know, magazines write reviews and they're negative. <laughs> People throw tomatoes. And, you, know, you don't, you know, your friends make fun of your CD. You know, you know, it's, it's horrible. And so to go out there on a limb and just make it up on a mic in front of people. That's what I love about what we're doing. At one thing. I love, you know, our worship teams. The main stage is going to, you know, a potential audience of 50 million people through God TV. The night sessions. They're making it up on the spot. I mean, we have a model and we have a game plan and there's a communication method. But the actual melody in the words on a lot of those spontaneous choruses, they're making it up right there. And we've done it in little rooms with nobody there so many times that we can do it in big rooms with lots of people there and not get too distracted by that. And it's authentic and it's real and it's got power. And you guys, I want to encourage you, the power of singing to God will give you might in your inner man. It will strengthen you with power in your inner man. You will experience God. Not only that, Colossians 3.16 says that if you will sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, you admonish one another, you teach one another the word of God. The word dwells in you richly. He says, let the word of God dwell in, dwell in you richly, admonishing and teaching one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, I never had anybody sing a, a, a lesson to me. You know, you ever have a preacher get up and just, well, some churches they do, they kind of sing, preach. I like that. But um, but what happens when we do corporate, you know, spontaneous singing or what we call harp and bowl, where we're singing on a passage back and forth. Let's say we're taking Ephesians three sixteen, strengthen you with might in the inner man through the spirit. I sing that singer two sings a different angle on it. Uh, something I've not thought of before and, and revelation hits my heart and suddenly the Holy Spirit's instructing me because of what my friend just sang next to me. You guys, six of us sat for years in a little room in Indianapolis, four and a half years, 30 hours a week, and we discipled one another. The best discipleship program I've ever done, sitting around with a, two guitars and a djembe, two out-of-tune si- singers, two sort of in-tune singers, and one definitely in-tune singer. And two kids that we just let jump in because they could fog a mirror. And it was rough and ugly and embarrassing. But it was glorious and it gave us might in the inner man. And we discipled each other and we touched God. So, amen. So I want to encourage you in this. My, my goal in this first part of our, our time together is to call you... To lift your voice and sing the word. Sing to God. I don't care if you're a singer or not. Do it. Do it. The Lord has this incredible editing system. If you, if you are like, if you sound, if you sound like a horse on Motrin when you sing, listen, lift your voice. Lift your voice. Now, I might not appreciate it a lot in the natural, and I wouldn't encourage you to necessarily get on a microphone and do it. But lift your voice. Seriously, lift your voice. Because by the time it gets to heaven, 
You know, Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit takes the groans that are inside of us and he turns it into brilliant intercession before the throne of God. The Holy Spirit has this amazing auto-tune Pro Tools editing system up there. He records our moaning and groaning and he fixes it all, puts it in time, pitches it, gets it in tune, makes it really cool, gives you, makes you the third part harmony and the cool suspension and then he plays it before the Father. And the father goes, my goodness, this is, those guys, I love those guys. It's it's true, it's true. It's totally true. You know, the the demons cannot figure this out. They're like, this sounds horrible. (laughs) And then these big angels show up and start to kick the demons butts. And they're like, what gives you the right to this? He goes, well, they're singing so good. What? Yeah, the father told us he loves his song and, and it has authority in heaven and we're coming to drive you out because of that prophetic song. It's really true. So I want to encourage you, the might of God deposited to your inner man through singing the word, through prophetic worship. What is God saying right now? And I want to talk in the next session about what I feel God is saying, what I feel prophetic, specifically prophetic worship is in content in the day and age that we live in. Um, and uh, I didn't even get to point one of my notes. So go sing, sing in your closet, get some friends together, sing the word, make a, get a history in God. This is what the getting oil in God is getting a rich heritage of history in God of might in the inner man. So our time's up. Let's pray and I'm going to let you go. And if you want to, if you want to come back in for part two, just, just go through the doors and come back in and grab your seat again. Lord, we thank you for this time. God, just seal these words in our heart. Lord, let us really understand that it, the, the, the songs of heaven and the songs from our heart sung to you have might and power. It releases the might of God. When we sing the word, it instructs us and teaches us in the ways of God. Lord, that we would be committed to it. We would not move from it. It would be the place of encounter. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.